Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. This really, this series kind of came about by um, several different things, but I, I heard and I've heard for so long so many people speak and say certain things. One of those phrases that I've heard over and over and over and over, more specifically, maybe I've just paid more attention to it over the last year, is this, I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy. I hear that phrase. How many of you heard that phrase just this week? We all hear that phrase. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. And if I were to be real honest with you, this week, my week was busy. My week was busy. We all have those days. We all have those weeks. We have those moments. But these next few weeks, as we look at the series, A Balanced Life, I want us to stop. I want us to begin to think of, a, of several different things, but I want us to kind of think of this one-liner, I guess you would. I don't know if I've read it somewhere. I don't know if I came up with it myself. I don't know, but a balanced life is a disciplined life. A balanced life is a disciplined life. You cannot have balance in your life, regardless of where you try to have balance, if you don't determine to be disciplined in certain things. If I'm not going to discipline myself to read Scripture and to have a personal walk with God, then it won't ever happen. If I'm not going to be disciplined, I know this is an area for me, if I'm not going to be disciplined enough to keep a schedule of my day and a time as to who I'm meeting with and when those are and be disciplined enough to say, I have an hour block here and I can't spend an hour and a half. If I'm going to be undisciplined in that, then it throws everything else off and... My life becomes more out of balance. But it takes discipline to have balance. The word balance means this. It is an even distribution of weight to remain upright and steady. Then, if, or so, I'm sorry, I was moving ahead. An even distribution of weight, enabling someone or something to remain upright and steady. So balance is an even distribution of weight to remain upright and steady. Then let me ask this. What does that look like for you and I in just our everyday life? That could be spiritually. That could be maybe you're here searching spiritually. You're you're not really in this whole God thing. You're kind of in that, hey, I'm trying to seek this out. But, But what does that look like for us? If balance is an even distribution of weight, enabling something or someone to remain upright and steady, then what does that look like in our lives? I would say it's some of the exact same things. See, as I was going through this and I was thinking of different things, I thought of this. Every one of us juggle different things in life. Each and every person in this room, whether you're retired or you're in the middle of your your career, we all have things to juggle. Because everything, there's always something that's thrown out. And as we begin to do this, as things are thrown at us, we now have decisions to be made, right? So as I'm going about my day and I'm going about my life, something comes in, I now have a decision to make. And if I don't make the decision, if I don't begin to prioritize and I don't begin to, to look after certain things in my life, it's really, really, really easy and our lives become completely out of balance. I'm no longer standing upright. 
See, I kind of did some thinking and I was I thought of this. I I have always been fortunate that I've always been a fairly athletic individual. See, standing upright and being balanced and coordinated for me has never been a problem. However, I've watched a lot of people in sports. I've watched a lot of people. I didn't have what some people, some of you may have had, which is called a growth spurt. That never happened in my life. Some of you, it happened when you were like seven years old. You were like six foot tall. You couldn't walk over your feet. You couldn't do any of that. I didn't have that problem. See, I was about five foot five or six when I was in like a senior in high school. And here I am, not much bigger than that today. My life, I didn't have that big growth spurt. But you know what I've, as I was thinking about this, balance as an individual in my physical life, all of us could work to have more balance. The most uncoordinated person in this room could learn and build their strength up in their physical body to have a little bit of balance. Here's a simple, silly illustration. I can stand on one leg. If I were to have some of you stand on one leg, you would, you would be doing all these different things trying to catch yourself. I'm capable of standing on one leg. However, if you couldn't stand on one leg, you could stand and hold this podium. And you could do exercises to the point that you can stand on one leg eventually. Because balance, most of balance is simply muscle memory and core strength, physically speaking. It is having the strength in your legs, in your core, in everything else to do those things. See, for me, I can do that. But as I begin to do different things, that becomes more difficult. Because as weights, so to speak, add on to that, standing on one leg can become more difficult. If I want to stretch and hold it up here forever, if I want to do a single-legged squat, if I want to do whatever, maybe I could grab one of those little balls with the platform on top of it and you stand on it and the ball is you're supposed to it's a core strength mechanism some of you are like i have no idea what you're talking about that's okay i don't have one and i don't practice it either but here's what i'm saying eventually i could get to the place i could stand just like i said for you with one leg and i could get to the place where i'm strong enough to stand on that ball because my core strength would be built I use a silly illustration because it's the same thing in our lives. Our lives really aren't that much different. We have to get to a place where you may have to stand and hold on to something to help you get balanced in your life. That something may be that I'm going to rely on Alan to keep me accountable. Or I'm going to rely on certain people or certain things in my life to help me to become balanced. There's questions that I ask personally and I reach out to other pastors who are more seasoned to me and I say things like, hey, how was it raising your children as a pastor? How was it with this or how was it with that and how did you do those things? All of those questions are made to help me balance my life a little bit different. See, this week for me was a lot different. It's not every day that I get phone calls I have to go to the hospital. On Monday night, we were at the hospital till about 11 o'clock. That's not every day for me. So guess what? In my line of work, sometimes that happens. But you know what I have to do? There's certain areas of my life that I can't cut out because I went to the hospital. 
So just because I got home from the hospital 11.30 or 12, that does not mean that I sleep in an extra two or three hours. No, I still wake up. I still have a Bible time. I still, why? Because that time is priority. See, just because weights are added, just becomes, because the, the, the balance of life gets more difficult in different areas, does not mean that my priorities change. When we look at the balanced life, and we look at standing upright, there's a lot of things that are going to come to us that we have to juggle. You have work, you have family, you have all of these different things. But as I set up in my life, there's certain boxes and priorities that are just happening. There's a lot of things that can come in around those things, But these are priorities and these will happen. Listen, just because I went to Columbia a couple weeks ago didn't mean that I stopped waking up in the morning to have a Bible time. Hey, because I went on vacation this summer did not mean that my quiet time and my time with God left. Why? Because I've chosen to make that a priority in my life. Now, I may not wake up at the same time, But it's still the number one priority in my life. And so as we go through this series, and as we go through the different things that are going to take place, I want to look at several things, but I want us to stop and look at that. A balanced life is a disciplined life. And so I'm going to ask you this question as I continue to move forward in the introduction. How busy are you? How often do you use the phrase, I am sorry, but I'm just so busy? I'm going to ask you to get kind of real with your own self. And I'm going to ask you, hey, could you tell me or could you define what your day looks like? Are there areas in your schedule, are there areas in your day that you have freedoms, we'll call them, where it's not really just booked up? Or is your whole day free? Because listen, here's what I'll tell you. If your whole day is free, God's word speaks very, very, very plainly in, in Proverbs I think it's like 15 to 20 times that he speaks of being lazy and that's not good either. Because if I have 24 hours and I have nothing to do, that's not healthy. However, if I have 24 hours and I can't figure out how I can say hello to my wife, that is extremely unhealthy also. There has to be a balance. Balance is a huge issue, in my opinion. It's something that is missing greatly in our culture. And I believe that it's impacting every area of our lives, our homes, our schools, our marriages, our workplace, our churches, and so on and so forth. And today we're going to look at the most important part or aspect of balance, that being the walk that we have with the Lord. Having a balanced walk with the Lord and Him truly being our core strength. It was several months ago I preached and I made the reference to a wheel that God has to be the hub, the center of the wheel, and there's spokes outside of that wheel. So something very similar is this morning is I'll kind of use God as that core of who we are and who we need. He needs to be that core strength, which keeps everything else balanced in our lives. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, a very familiar passage of scripture. And then from there, I'm going to kind of use that as a launch point to several different things this morning. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. 
In Matthew 6, uh, Jesus, uh, we're, we're going to start in 25, but just prior to that, Jesus is speaking to those who are basically um, doing everything that they can. They're building up treasure here on earth. They're working, they're buying, they're having all these things, all these earthly accolades, all of these things. And Jesus is saying, hey, whoa, 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 that is great. You can have some of those things, but none of that is going to last for eternity. And he comes here to verses 25 and the, the end of the chapter, and he begins to say, but just the same, there's a lot of things that we need to slow down and stop stop and think about. Really what we're looking at here, and, and I'm not getting into the depth of this whole thing, is Jesus was speaking to those that had money, and Jesus was speaking to those that didn't have as much money. Those that had money were just, it's, we got to have more, and we got to have more, we got to buy all these things, and look how great, and all of this other stuff. And then he comes to this point where there's a lot of us that do this, we have to work, 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 so we can have our food, so we can have this, and Jesus calls it in here, the food and raiment, the food and the clothes. Hey, why are we worried about those things? To which you and I respond, because if I don't have food, I don't live. But Jesus says, hey, but do I not clothe, and do I not provide for everything else, why would I not do that for you? So we're going to look at these things this morning. And we're going to tackle them first and foremost this morning that we would have a balanced walk with the Lord. And then we'll continue on for the next several weeks. We're going to look at having a balanced family life. We're going to look at having balance in our finances. We're going to look at having balance in our time. And I pray that these are all, all four of these sermons would be such that would be encouraging to you because regardless of where you are in your life, they all affect us. And so this morning, if you have your Bible, we'll be in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start in 25, and then we'll go through the end of this passage in verse 34. If you do not, it will be up on the screens. But Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, What ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek? For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Father God, I ask that you would use your word to pierce into our hearts this morning. God, that you would speak. Father, I pray that we would honestly and truly look into our lives and see where you sit in our lives. God, every person in here is facing different things. And Lord, I just pray that this morning, the sermon would be such that we would remember who you are and remember to place you at the foremost uh, forethought of our lives. 
that you would be first. And God, out of that, balance comes when we place you at the throne of our lives. God, we ask all this in your son's name. Amen. So the question that I'm going to ask is, why must we seek first the kingdom? Why must we seek first the kingdom? The first thought is this, and it's, it's really not even mentioned in this passage of Scripture, but this is kind of the thought, and this is kind of where my mind went. If we look at this thought of, of anxiety, of stress, of worry, of all of the things that God is mentioning, I think it was three or four times Jesus mentioned this in this passage of Scripture. He mentions ang- being anxious for nothing. And He says it multiple times. And the thought, the kind of the opposite of being anxious is that we would be content. And so the first thought is this, that, that of contentment. Jesus says to not be anxious. He says to not worry for the food or not worry for the clothes. To which, again, we would say, no, we need those things. These are necessities of life. And it's exactly what Jesus said. And I, if you were with, me, with us last week, I made reference to this. Uh, while I was in Colombia, the pastor made this statement. He said, I stopped praying that God would provide the needs and the things that he told me he would provide. And I began to seek to know God. God, would you give me knowledge? God, would you give me understanding? Would you give me wisdom? Because I know you're going to provide all of these things. And as we go to this passage of Scripture, and we look at having a balanced life, we look at this thought of why would I seek first the kingdom? Because so often, our lives are just out of balance. We work And why do we work? I work so that I can have the cooler car. I work so that I can have the bigger house. I work that I could have the things and I could have the things and I can have the things. What are the things that cause us so much anxiety and stress? Why is it that when life happens and financially we get hit with something, what do we do? We stress beyond stress beyond stress. How many prayer requests I have, and I'm not diminishing this at all. It has hit me personally as well. But how many times I receive a prayer request from one of you that says, something happened within my job and I lost X amount of hours a a week. I lost my job. And I don't, what we get to that place where we're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And believe me, I've been there and I get that. But at the same time, how many of the things that we are working to provide for ourselves are actual necessities that we need? You don't need a 3,000 square foot home. Yeah, but I have three kids. I don't care. You don't need a 3,000 square foot home. And I'm not saying if you do that that's wrong. But the thought is this. When God is at the forefront of our lives the necessities of life begin to make more sense. God says, I will provide these things. I would say most of the people in this room that have anxious issues, God's not sitting where he's supposed to sit. Hey, and I'm not taking away, there's medical things, I'm not taking that. But I've counseled a lot of people. And I've talked to a lot of people. And when people are stressing over certain avenues and areas of their lives of anxiousness, being anxious, having anxiety, looking at all of these things, nine out of ten times you can point to some things. We work on symptoms, we don't deal with the problem. 
We work on symptoms. Hey, let me give you a band-aid to help this. No, what's the actual problem? Most of the time it goes back that we're not living in a content area because we're worried about what the next-door neighbors are looking at. And our lives are out of balance. Why? Because I'm not content. I'm worried about where my food is coming. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. God says this, O ye of little faith. Listen, contentment and anxiety, most of that has to do with faith and trust in who God is. If God is sovereign, we dealt with this several weeks ago. If God is sovereign, then I have to trust that God is sovereign and He has the best thing for me in mind. Right? It's really quiet in here. You guys were good when I made a joke. And then it's... But this is where we are. We live in a society that is not content. Let me ask you how content you would be if your boss came to you and said this. The position that you're in is where you will be until you retire. Would you be content with that? Some of you are like, yeah, I'm retired. I love what I do. I own my business. I love what I'm doing. But you know how many times I've heard this? Hey, my job is pretty much a dead-end street. I'm going to make $70,000 for the rest of my life no matter what it is. I want to continue to move up the ladder. Why? For some people, you're just driven and you need to continue to move up. But I would ask this question, and it's not a financial question. It's not any of those things. Are we content to be where we are? Where God would have us to be? Because so many times... We're anxious and we just continue to have to keep moving up the ladder. I don't know about you, moving up the ladder did not cause less stress in my life. I don't know one person that's continually moved up the ladder that's been like, oh man, my life is so much less stress when I'm up here than I was down there. But that's what we're designed according to our culture to continue to do. We have to get more. We have to get more. Paul said it this way. Not that I speak in Philippians 4, verse 11 and 12. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. Paul said, hey, Rich, poor, lots of food, little, little food. I've got to a place where I'm content with who I am and I'm content with who God has me and where I am. That's how I want to be. And I would say this. In your state of worry, in your state of anxiety, in your state of busyness, in your state of all of these things, of being anxious, of being all of this, if I were to just stop and say, how content are you and why are you in the position that you're in? dealing with the root problem, not with the Band-Aid issue, where would it come back to? Worry is the opposite of contentment, which is where God desires us to be. Contentment should be where we as believers strive to be. It should be our desire to be content, not to be worried. We must seek first His kingdom. It's not that we won't worry. Listen, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. There's times I stress, there's all of those things, but God does not have us to be there. We live there far too often. There's more medication that goes out for anxiety and stress than should ever go out of a doctor's office, ever. 
And as a believer, most of that can take care of itself if we just put God on the throne of our lives. If we were to just be real, real honest with it. Second thought. Maybe this will make a happier. I don't know. Anxiety doesn't make people happy. The second thought is to know him. Some of my favorite pastors in all of Scripture, especially when it comes to this, is Paul that is, he's writing in Philippians chapter 3. And I want to read this passage, and I'm going, to, I'm going to come back to Matthew 6 towards the end of the sermon. But as we look at these things, if we become content and we get to a place where we recognize where God is, I begin content in my life. Some of this is almost backwards, but we're going to look at this, to know Him. Though I might ha- also have confidence in the flesh... If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul is saying, man, if there's anybody that can boast about how awesome they are according to the law, I am it. I should be able to boast about how great that I am. He was the... The quintessential Jew, I guess you could say. He was the guy. I know for me there was different times you ever look up to people and you go, man, I wish if my kids could end up like that, that would be Paul. That was kind of what he was saying here. I was all of these things, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may, and this is where it is, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I... I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul had every reason to boast, as I just said. He had every reason to be proud of himself, to to go through all of those things, because he was all of that. Everything that the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, everything that all of those guys were trying to be, he was. And he says, yet I count all of that as loss, and my desire now is that I would know Christ, that I would know Him, that I would understand the resurrection, that I would know Him better. Instead, he traded everything away when he came to know Christ. This morning, as we really get into this, Paul recognized the law had no power. He recognized that his good works had no power. And when he finally came to that understanding, he made it his goal to simply do one thing, and that was to know Jesus Christ. To know Jesus Christ. He came to a place of understanding that the things of religious world were worthless. They were worthless. The things that Paul was doing because of religion were worthless. Listen, I'll just be real honest, and this might not be the right thing as a pastor to say. If you are here because this is the religious duty that you have, it's worthless. It's worthless. It's going to be a sad day one day when, according to Scripture, God's Word says that many will say that I know you. And He's going to say, depart from me. What a sad day. How many people are going to sit that were in church 
every single week who know the gospel, who could share the gospel, who could teach the gospel, who did all of these things, but had none of it in their heart because it was a religious act that they chose to do to check off the box on a weekly basis that they would be in church. Listen, I want you in church. There's a lot of people that aren't here this morning that I wish were in church. Not because I love to see the numbers going north, but because we need to know Him. It has to be a priority in our lives. But if we're here just because it's a religious duty, man, Paul said it was worthless. He threw it all away. I don't want any of that. That's but dung is what he said. Why? Because when he came to the place that it wasn't about a religious duty and it wasn't about a religious act, it wasn't about just doing the things of the law, so to speak. It was to know Christ. If I were to just get real with you or you were to get real with yourself, how much of your life is just about, I'm doing everything I can to just know Christ? I will promise you this. I promise you this. You strive with everything in you to know Christ and Him crucified. Contentment and anxiety will fill themselves out and they will work themselves out. I promise you. Why do I say that? Not because I'm a doctor, but I can promise you that because God's Word says that. God's Word says that. Throughout Scripture, Jesus said it, Paul said it, other authors and writers said it, but knowing God. Not a head knowledge of God, but a knowledge of God that produces an action. In John chapter 10, it, Jesus, or it was this, experiencing Christ, Jesus spoke of knowing His sheep. That He is known of His sheep, that he knows his sheep and that his sheep know him. John 17, I've said it many times, eternal life is to know him. Ephesians 1, 17 speaks of the Father that would give wisdom and revelation in knowledge of him. Hey, listen, you want to know God? Ask. You want God's word to be revealed to you? Ask. I don't know how many times people have said, I would read the Bible if I just understand it. Listen, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that means the Holy Spirit has indwelt in you. If the Holy Spirit is who God says He is, that means He was a part of writing the Word of God. That means He has the power to raise Christ from the dead. He has the power to raise you from the dead. God, the Holy Spirit in us, has the power to allow you to have God's Word revealed to you. Do We, we know that, right? So then why is it that we say, well, I would read more if I just understood it? You're not dumb. We're not dumb. God created us as beings that are very intelligent. And He gave us His Word. But more than just giving us His Word, if you know Christ as Savior, that means the veil has torn or been been taken off your eyes the scale is taken off and i can now understand his word not because i'm a smart guy but because the holy spirit lives in me so don't tell me i would read it if i didn't if i could just understand it no here's what i'm going to tell you 
if it was important to you, if it was priority in your life, if you were disciplined enough to do it, then you would do it. Yes, I'm yelling at you. But I'm just trying, I hope I'm helping you a little bit. But God's word, it's not that it's so difficult. It's that it's not a priority. There is no priority for this in my life. And it's easier to say, well, I just don't understand it. Sure, listen, I'll be real honest. There's things in this that I'm like, man, I I wish I could wrap my head around. I wish I could understand it better. There's things that men studied years and years and years and years and years. Theologians that study the same five passages of Scripture for their whole life and try to write things about it, and three other people argue and fight the difference against it. There's parts that are, I don't want to say difficult, but there's things in here that we'll never know until heaven. No matter how much we try to fight with each other. But at the end of the day, God's word is so clear that we are just to know him. Salvation is to have a relational knowledge of Christ. It is knowing our creator. It is knowing our savior. To have a balanced walk, a balanced life, we must know Him. Paul wanted to truly understand the resurrection of Christ. Have you ever just stopped and thought about that? To truly understand the resurrection of Christ? Read through Scripture. Go through, the, go through the Pauline letters. Go through those letters and see how many times Paul writes of something of him and being in the resurrection with Christ. It was obviously something that he thought about. Galatians 2 and verse 20, that he was crucified with him. And nevertheless, he lives, but it's Christ who lives in him. And it's no longer his power, but it's God's power in and through him that he could live. All throughout the New Testament, it speaks of us dying with Christ. That we would then one day be raised back to life. I don't understand it. I wish I had a better understanding of it. But guess what? It should be my desire. That was for you. It should be my desire. All of a sudden, I'm popping. It should be my desire that I would know Him and the power of His resurrection. And it's not that I'm going to know all things. But that God would reveal himself to me as I continue to grow, as I continue to to move forward in my walk with him. Paul was understanding that the Holy Spirit being in him gives him the power to do and be all that God had called for him to be. I would ask this question today. And honestly, on you, and, and really this is, only between you and God, but the question would be this, do you know God? Period. Do you know God? I'm not asking you this question, and you can like me or dislike me on this statement. I'm not asking you if you were three, four, five, six, seven years old, you prayed a prayer to ask Jesus in your heart. I'm asking you, do you know God? Because God's nowhere in God's word does he say that we must say a, a, a prayer when we were five years old, because that's what we did. 
He asks that we would know him. Yes, we need to call out to him and ask him. I'm not, you know, someone's like, You're, that's heresy. No, I'm not going there. But in our Christian world, in our circles of the world, in our Christian, Christianity, we've made it to be, hey, repeat this prayer after me. And then we've told our children a lie. Hey, when you were seven years old, you said that prayer. I'm telling you, you did that. No, I'm asking you, as a grown adult, do you know God? Because that's what it's about. It's not what your parents told you you did when you were a kid. Did you make that decision? Has your life been changed by the gospel message of Jesus Christ? And I'm not trying to doubt your salvation. I'm not doing any of those things. But I'm just get, I, I want you to get to the heart of where you are. Do you know God? Because there's been many times I've had to seriously just stop and go, Wow, Aaron, you've said a lot of those things, but <laughs> you better straighten that up in your own life. And knowing God has been one of those for me, as just being real honest. I've had to get serious in my own life over the last several years. Hey, this isn't a game that I can play any longer. Do I really know God? Am I really growing in my relationship with God? So if I were to ask you that, do you know God? If contentment comes from knowing Him, and it's in contentment that we are not anxious, I would ask you this, how are you doing? A balanced walk has to be you and I knowing Him. It has to be our priority. Our core has to be strengthened by knowing Him. So how do we have this desire to be content and to know Him? Jeremiah 29, 13 says it this way, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Are you searching to know Him? Lastly this morning, I know I'm short on time, but lastly it says this, that we would, or the thought is that we would love Him. That we would love Him. We can always use several passages of Scripture that we love Him because He first loved us, which is true. But let's, let's just get real and let's look through these different things. Look at our love for Him. What is it that pushes us to have a balanced walk with God? It should be understanding the love that God has for us and what He gave for us, but it's also an intentional desire that in my walk I am intentionally seeking to know him and in that I am growing closer to him and I love him more and I love him more and I love him more I've used the illustration a million times my wife who is in the nursery this morning but I she always sits there so I'm just going to act like she's sitting there I over 15 years have grown to love her more and more and more why because I have intentionally desired to know her And so if I'm intentionally desiring to know God, then I am growing in my love for God, and out of that love for Him, Him loving me, me loving Him, my wife loving me, me loving her, I desire to do certain things. My life is different because of that relationship. I treat my wife different today than I did 15 years ago. Why? Because I know her in a better way. My love is different. God's word says in Matthew 22, Master, which is the greatest com- or the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This love comes 
because he first loved us. But this love is a love that is purposeful. Jesus was answering, this is what's great, and I... Jesus was answering, and you got to think of who he was talking to. He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the Sadducees. He's talking to all these people. And they ask him, what is the great commandment? And he basically looks at them. Because in this day and age, they would wear what I think, what is it called, the phylactery? Um, they would wear the phylactery on their forehead, or they would wear it on their arm, and they would... They wore the commandments on them. And they say, hey, well, what is a great commandment? Jesus like, hello, you're telling everybody how great the commandments are. You're wearing them. You're, you're speaking of them. You're doing, what are you asking me? If I were to ask you this question, hey, do you love God? Here's what my answer would be. You would all go, well, yes, I love God. Because why? Well, I come to church. I do this. I do that. I look the part. I say this. I go through all of these things. And Jesus looks at them. He says, the greatest commandment is that you would love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And he looks at him. He says, hey, dummy, you wear it all over yourself. Now do it. And I said dummy from the pulpit. Did you catch that? It's recorded. Yes. There's an edit button. Though. No, I'm just kidding. But that's basically, he's looking at them and he's like, hey, you're the one, you, you post these things all over yourselves. I don't know if you've ever been to a place where you've seen that. When I walked in, when I was in Israel and saw it with my eyes, that they literally wore it on their forehead. The law of God but they don't have it in their heart. What is it that we would love God? Listen, it's not, it can't any longer be about me wearing it on my forehead, so to speak. It can no longer be about you and I. Well, I go to church, I wear the right thing, I say the right thing, I even listen to SOS in my car. No, it cannot be about that. It's got to be that I'm loving Him with my heart, with my soul, with my mind, and my strength. And everything that I'm doing, I am striving to know Him, to love Him, to give myself to Him. Listen, I'm not trying to play this whole anxious and, and contentment thing up. But if I don't want that in my life, being anxious is not fun. Stress literally kills people, right? It literally kills the heart. But in America, that's one of the number one killers. Why? Because we are so stressed out over stuff that we do not need to be stressed out over. Listen, I'll promise you this. In Colombia, there wasn't one person I met that was really stressed out about a $4,000 car pay- or house payment. There wasn't. There wasn't one person that I met that was stressed out about having a $700 car payment. The average car payment in America is like $500 or something stupid. Why are we stressed? Hello? There wasn't anybody there. Why? They're not dying of heart attack because of stress. They're not real stressed. It's here in our country. The richest nation in the world. 
where we work more than anybody and play less than anybody, but we have a whole lot. And in the church, it's no different. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. Listen, I would love to have a boat. I just don't have Sundays off. (laughs) Now, I would love to have some of those things. To be real honest, I would love to have a bigger home so that I could have more people in my home comfortably. There's a lot of things that I would really desire. I've said it and I've joked about it for a long time. I wanted to get rid of my Pontiac Sunfire. I got rid of it. Now I'm driving an old man grandpa car. Hey, but you know what? I laugh about it and I've gone back and forth for a year and a half. I don't want a car payment. And praise God, I don't have a car payment. And you know what? I can handle my kids calling my car gramps. And I can handle some of those things. Because for me personally, I've gotten to a place that that's not worth it. I'm not stressing over that anymore. I'd rather take my kids and do something fun for a couple hundred bucks than put it into a car. That's what I've chosen to do. Because I'm not anxious. I'm not going to worry about that anymore. Listen. I've got more in my notes, and I know I have to stop. But if we would just understand a balanced life is a balanced walk. A balanced life. Yeah, we want to live content. But the only way contentment happens is if I'm knowing Him. And as I'm knowing Him, I'm loving Him more. And as I'm loving Him more, I'm knowing Him more, and I'm becoming more content. Does that make sense? It's just kind of a big cycle. I went back and forth as to where I put those and how I kind of managed that this morning. But really, my goal would be that I would love him more. That I would know him to the best of my ability. The outcome of that, when it comes to balance, is contentment. But the only way that I can have contentment is if I know him. And the only way that I love him is if I know him more. And I love him more. And then I know him more. And then I become more content. I'm less anxious. I'm less stressful. I'm less of all of those things. It's an action step. A balanced life is a disciplined life. It takes action. It takes purpose. It takes meaning. I am going to wake up in the morning, and regardless of whether I want to or I don't want to, I'm going to wake up in the morning, and I'm going to do specific things. First and foremost for me in my life is God. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. By far, I will promise you that the man you're looking at is not perfect. But I have tried very, very, very hard to discipline myself that the very first thing I do in the morning is to get into God's Word and to pray. Do I do it every day? I wish I could say, oh man, I haven't missed a day of reading. And No, I, I miss that. But I strive to be disciplined that I will wake up and I will read Scripture every day. I want to, because I want my life to be balanced. I'll be real honest, I do not want to come to the end of my life and my children and my family be able to say, well, he sure loved a whole lot of people, but I had no idea who that guy was. You shouldn't want your kids to say it either. Man, we had the greatest of stuff. 
we it was really cool. We had a four-wheelers, and we had dirt bikes, and we had a boat, and we had a big home, and we had all the Xbox, and we had the Playstations, and we had the iPads, and we had these things. But I, hey, what, where was dad? Where is mom? Because I'll promise you, I've held a lot of hands as people have taken their last breaths, and there was never one time that anybody said anything about money. There was never one time anything said, any, said anything about the things that they had. But nearly every one of them has waited till all of their family was there to be able to pass on. Why? Because there's certain things that are important. Priority. So this morning, I'll just ask you those things. How are you when it comes to balance with your walk with God? Are you stressed and worried and anxious? And you're like, man, I wish I was more content. How are you at knowing God? And I'm not trying to be facetious and ask these questions, to, but honestly, if we were to just be honest, do you know God? Do you love Him? And if you love Him, are those actions visible in your life? Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.